two weeks this week and next week remaining. In this uh, study on discipling. It really is uh, the same lesson, but it'll have to be in two parts. There's no way I can get through it all tonight. So, um, a man's got to know his limitations, a famous philosopher said once. And uh, I'm in touch with mine this week. We're going to talk about uh, some hazards that go along with discipling, some things that we need to be aware of. They're they're not anything earth-shaking, things that you would probably arrive at yourselves if you gave it uh, very much thought at all but I think it's important for us to uh, review them and then uh, next week we'll talk about some great joys that go along with discipling so uh, before we dive in does anyone have any questions about anything that we've talked about or not talked about or you think ought to be talked about let me also tell you and if you go to our website you know, like, I'm, I'm thinking about this because you guys were out a couple weeks and some of you have missed weeks and things like that. And I don't always think about this uh, when we're together. But if you miss a week and you want to catch up on it, I do record these and then we post them on our website. So if you go to the website and you go to, um, it's it comes down Wednesday activities. If you find that drop down menu at the top and it says Wednesday activities, If you click on that, it's where you would go to find the meal menus or whatever you go. And then it'll start out with, you know, about the meals and the women's Bible study and the children's team kid. And it'll talk about adult Bible study. And right under that where it says adult Bible study, there's a little couple of lines. And it says if you missed, you can click here. And the here is in green. And you can click on that link and it will take you to these that have been loaded. Now, we didn't load Kyle's because he didn't record his, but it wasn't his fault. It was mine because I didn't instruct him to do that. But, uh, and that might be good in your estimation. I don't know, you might not want to be on tape. Uh, anything that could be used against you later on. I did make a Carl Marx reference. So. Oh, you did? Well, that's probably a good thing we didn't tape it then. But we try to do that when um, on Wednesday nights in the teaching in case you're out or something like that. You can go and catch up and listen to it, or if we did a session and you want to go back and listen to it again, um, they're on there. And uh, just like the sermons from Sunday and that kind of thing, we, we try to keep them out there for you. So, any questions? Or the handouts? The handouts? Online as well? Uh, they're not, but I could get you one if you wanted one yeah, for a particular week. Okay. I mean, I have a file okay. with those things. I just don't have them. There may be some over there that are extra on the table. Depending on the week, I mean, I've thrown some of them away because after a couple of weeks, I moved them off so they don't just accumulate. But if there's a particular week you want, if you'll let me know, we'll get it. All right? Okay. So this week, we want to talk about the dangers of discipling, both to the discipler and the disciple. And primarily, I've identified seven dangers of discipling. As we walk through these, I want you to think specifically of a discipling relationship you have or maybe you'd like to have and consider where these attitudes can encroach or may encroach or have already at some point in time where you may have experienced this at some time. 
So thinking about what are negative characteristics that discipling could cultivate in the heart of a discipler, someone who is doing discipling, what, what kind of negative attitudes could a discipler fall into, swerve into? Lose interest. Lose interest, okay, get bored with it or, or feel like it's not going anywhere and become apathetic, okay? You could get frustrated. You could get frustrated when you should not. Yeah, that's good. Any others? Uh, boundary problems. Yes. If you, if you wind up discipling somebody and discover the person's codependent or got some type of uh, doesn't have good relational boundaries, you may have to defend yourself. That's right. Or even worse, you may find out you're the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us are not self-aware enough to know that, though, right? Okay, good. I mean, primarily, I mean, you're, you're all over this, and th there are all kinds of things. We can't exhaust the list, but I want to talk about a few of them tonight. One of them is self-importance. Chuckling? Yep. Why? It's easy to fall into the trap of he's so lucky to have me. <laughs> yeah. You don't you don't think of it that way until you realize you've already yeah. you know stepped in it. It's real easy for us to put ourselves on a pedestal, isn't it? If we you know, especially if the person seems to make some progress and the person expresses some gratitude toward us or this is wonderful you know throw some compliments your way you know the head goes out like this then and all of a sudden man they're so lucky to have me yeah you're exactly right we can see ourselves as important as we meet with and influence another christian we can become tempted to think about our prowess in this area you know, we can over-exaggerate these things, or maybe not over-exaggerate, but just exaggerate them. Uh, thinking about our gifts, our strategies, the time, the energy, you know, how great you are that I'm sacrificing to invest in you, those kind of things. So we can, we can fall into a trap. I don't think anybody ever sets out to get here, but if you're, you can do the same thing if you're doing something physical, right? If you're if you go mow someone's grass for them because they, they can't, you can start to feel really good about yourself if you're not careful. Not that you shouldn't be thankful for the opportunity to do that and have some good feelings about it, but unhealthy good feelings, right? Uh, we might attribute changes in their actions or perspective or theology to my work. Look, what, look what's going on there because of what I did, you know? So how do you correct that? If you fall into that direction or you sense a temptation there or you think it might be happening, what would we do to counteract that, to counterbalance it, to correct it and move in a different direction? Ask the Lord to change our lives. Okay, you can pray about it, right? That's good. You should probably also confess it to accountability partner in a um, accountability person and he wasn't even 
here last week. Yeah, you missed the accountability thing. I, I think that was probably by design, right? That you missed the accountability session. <clears throat> you know, the Apostle Paul saw incredible changes in people, right? I mean, obviously there were some that didn't. I remember his conversation with, uh, was it Felix or Agrippa? Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Was that Agrippa? King Agrippa? Was it Felix? Okay. I mean, it's basically the same thing happened with both of them. So, but one of them said that. Paul, you know, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So get out of here. I'm getting away from you kind of thing. Uh, but Paul saw tremendous changes in the lives of other people. So it would have been very easy for someone like Paul to become trapped in this self-important attitude, right? But what did Paul say about himself? How did Paul view himself in his ministry? Chief of all sinners. I'm the chiefest, he said. I, I'm, the, I'm the worst of the lot. Um, we, talked, we talked Sunday. was well, Sunday, wasn't it? Second Corinthians. Was that Sunday? They all start running together. But we, we talked about his, uh, his defense of his apostleship to the Corinthians. And in the midst of that, you know, they were talking about boasting and bragging and things. And Paul said, I could brag, I could boast, but in fact, I will. But what did he boast in? His weakness and his sufferings for the gospel. Things you wouldn't think you would boast in. I mean, Brian, you feel like boasting in your ailment, in your body? You don't want to stand up and go, you know, I feel great that I'm bearing up under this and no, you just want to get rid of it, right? In fact, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That's a man that's not in love with his self-importance, is he? He's not in love with himself. He's got a good balanced view. He understands that there's been some great things going on through him, that God's used him, been effective with him, but he understands it's God and not him, right? What he also a good... had an affirmative. Yeah. He affirms himself, but at the same time, it doesn't go too far. Infirmity. Infirmity, right. Yeah, that kept him humble, he said. Kept him lowly. So when we're tempted to think our work has transformed people, we're reminded that it is God's grace that changes people. Remember, all of us are sinners, right? All of us are broken. All of us are fallen. But it's by God's grace that we came to love Christ. And God's grace had a clear effect on your life. And it can, He can use it and will ultimately use you to do the same in someone else. So we need to follow Paul's example. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good gift comes from above. Not out of man, right? It was a grip. It was a grip. You looked it up? I thought it was. Thank you for doing that. I don't want to leave anybody under the wrong impressions here tonight. So another thing that can happen, 
Self-importance, about self-reliance. What does that mean? That you would be relying on yourself other than the Lord. Yeah, we can become preoccupied with yeah, what, what we're saying, what we're doing. We can become preoccupied with our discipling relationship and cause us to forget to turn to God for answers. You can, you can learn a lot of things and rely upon the knowledge that you've gotten rather than thinking that maybe God has something else going on here, something else he wants to do in this situation. It's real easy to do that. It's hard to be disciplined to say, Maybe I need to move slowly in this and actually hear and see what God's doing before I start offering a plethora of answers, right? Trying, trying, because we're, especially us men, we're natural born fixers, aren't we? We, we want to fix everything. It well, took, everything. same difference. It's the same difference. You know, I raised three daughters and it took me uh, probably three-fourths of their lives to learn that I wasn't supposed to try to fix everything. Because sometimes they just want to talk. They want you to listen. I'm not very good at it, you know. About, what, three minutes into the conversation, I've already diagnosed the problem. I've already strategized how you're going to fix it. And let's forget the rest of it. I just want to get straight. Let's cut to the chase. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. It doesn't work. They want you to listen. Listen to what's wrong. I don't want you to fix it. it. Took me a long time to learn that, but it's come in handy since I learned it. Sometimes you just shut up and listen, right? Preoccupation with our discipling relationship can cause us to forget to turn to God for answers. We're quick to give answers right out of our hip pocket. Oh, here's my ready-made fix-it list. You're expressing this going on in your life, so. Uh, okay, here's the, here's the verse we go to, and here's what you do, right? It's too easy. We're consumed with the nitty-gritty details, sins, and struggles of horizontal relationships, and sometimes we don't turn vertically to look for the grace and strength that God offers. So we forget to ask what is God doing in their life. How do we correct that? It's not rocket science, is it? Be slow to give answers. Be long to listen. Be patient to listen. They may answer the question themselves. They may answer the situation themselves. They may know the answer. They're just trying to work it out. So, discipling is a lot like teaching, isn't it? What's the old teaching adage? There's a few. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking for one. <laughs> There's a teaching adage that says you never do for the student what they can do for themselves, right? If you, you, that's what you want. You want them to do it for themselves. You want them to figure out how to get the answers themselves. You know, it's not just memorization, rote stuff, but it's learning the processes of how to get there. So... We, the same thing's true in discipling. The whole idea behind discipling is to get the person to function for themselves, to come up with these answers themselves. <clears throat> so, 
We need to remind ourselves that we're made to be dependent on God. As a discipler, we consistently remind ourselves of our need for God. That we need Him, we need His wisdom, we need His instruction. And maybe ask ourselves questions like, am I sharing my opinion too quickly? One of the temptations that's real easy for us to fall into is sharing out of our own experience. You know, someone starts down a path and we go, oh, I've been there. I do this. Look, I've been in ministry longer than I've been alive sometimes, I feel like. So when somebody starts, I go, oh, yeah, okay, I know where this is going. Look, let me tell you what happened to me. It's not always helpful. Maybe at a right time, but some places in there, we, we need to be looking to God, not become self-reliant on what we know, what we've experienced, but help connect them to God God is the one that brings the remedy. He's the one that brings the healing. He's the one that brings the change. His word is sufficient, not my words. So have I taken time to search the scripture to see what God might say in this situation? Self-reliance can promote quick and less careful responses to our discipling friend's struggles. So we need to trust God in this more than we do ourselves. Next one. Coming, what is it? Program minded. I like the word. What does that mean? Do you think? Hmm. He's got that problem. I'm going to use solution number two. Yeah. I got a book for that. Yeah. Got a book, got a Bible study for that. Um, or, you know, you got to go to this class or that class. Not that those could be bad solutions. I mean, those can be good solutions. But we become so program-minded that we, we miss what's actually going on in the person's life. We're not really listening to what, what may be happening there. I thought you were going to go more towards coming out of the first two. I thought this one was going to be a, a program or a plan that we put together. Well, and same it, difference. Same difference, but yeah. not necessarily always turning towards the word, but, you know, your yeah. plan that you've devised based upon your, your own diagnosis rather than yeah. the description. You open up the suitcase. Yeah. Here's all my wares. And here's program A that we can get you from. This point to that point. And, 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 that, and, and there's also a danger tying back to number one. Well, being the expert, you go through this. You need to go through these these classes, and then you'll be ready. Yeah. <laughs> Discipling is not a program. It's what relationship. Relationship. Life on life together. Life on life together. It's a process, isn't it? it it's a growing, it's, a, it's a, uh, an organic thing when it's working correctly. It's not a program. Programs imply, I think, more, um, you know, let me get it from my notebook into your notebook. Now you've got all the answers. I was having a discussion with somebody the other day. We were talking about things we've learned through the years. And years ago, the last church I was in, which has been years ago now, 
um, I used to work every week and I'd have an outline, you know, like you've got your handouts in here, okay? And I'd have a preaching outline and I had strategic blanks and stuff like that, you know? And so it's, it's designed to keep people engaged, right? Through, throughout the services I'm preaching. <clears throat> but what I began to notice was that the outline became bigger than the sermon or the worship that we were doing. You know, that people were so concerned on getting the right word and the right blank. They would come up after, I missed this one over here, I need to get this. And they would take them home and they were keeping them in notebooks and everything. And, and I'm thinking, I, and I could see it in their eyes. There was no connection to the message. It was just a classroom setting where this may be on the exam. So let me get this down. And I get it in my notebook and it's there. Now there was no going to be no exam, so they never went back to the notebook, right? There wasn't anything going in here. It was just coming from the PowerPoint slide to their notebook. And they walked out feeling like, hey, I've listened to the sermon and I got what I needed to get out of it. And here we go. And so when I came here, we didn't do it. And I had people would ask me and say, you ever thought about doing that? And I say, yeah, I did think about doing that. Actually, I've done that a few times. It doesn't help. I'd much rather, you, I'd almost rather you go to sleep than just sit there and by rote, you know, go down and fill out your outline. You're sitting there thinking, okay, waiting for the next word. Did he say it yet? No, I'm not sure. <laughs> I missed that one. I'm behind a blank. <laughs> I'm not saying that those can't be good. Obviously, we've used them in here, but we're in a smaller, cozier room, and it, it works a little better, I think. <clears throat> so be flexible and um, with the immediate needs that come up. That's the problem. Don't fall into the program mindset of just getting it from this notebook or book into your notebook of notes. Let your concern with implementing your agenda cause you... Don't let your concern with implementing your agenda cause you to be unaware of what is going on in your discipling friend's life. You want to be listening to what they're saying because this discipling, Heidi just mentioned it. It's about a relationship. You know, your relationship building. So if you're not listening to what they're actually saying and responding to that, you know, put the notes aside, put the notebook aside, and let's deal with heart to heart what's going on here. That's real discipling, lest you become program-minded. You know, if the person is asking you a question or trying to tell you something's going on and you say, yeah, 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 but we got to get to point two. All right. Can we come back to that later? So um, balance is important. Be willing to tackle unexpected crisis or day to day struggles that might arise in your life or in their life. Those are teaching moments, teachable moments. If the material doesn't seem to be helpful, then don't be so prideful that you are unwilling to consider a different course of action to change directions, you know, if it's not making a connection there. Okay, the fourth one. About a sense of failure. Did I give these to you on the handout or are they blanks? Okay, good. See, I've learned. I'll just give you the. Let's go ahead and give them to you. Sense of failure. Yeah. You alluded to it earlier, right? 
You can get, you can invest in something, but or someone did when we first started. You can, you can invest in someone. You're working hard at this, and you're not seeing anything happen, or you don't think it's happening, and you, you go away and beat yourself up and think about, you know, I must be lousy at this. That wasn't my fault. That wasn't my fault. <laughs> or you're going away saying, that must be my fault. It must be me. Wow. Yeah. Most of us struggle with those things, don't we? I mean, you're going to struggle on one end of the spectrum or the other, right? That, that can't be my fault is up here, or it's all my fault down here. Mm-hmm. Right? Just as much work going on for a disciple or a disciple. Yeah. If not more. Yeah. And, and a lot of struggles internally. Because... Because we're all fallen, we're all bringing baggage to this party, right? <laughs> I'd like to say that we've all reached this level, this rung of discipleship, you know, where all of our issues have been dealt with. But what I've learned, and maybe you're learning, is that when you deal with an issue and you think, okay, I got that issue dealt with, I'm really in a good place with it. Then God peels back the, another layer of the onion and it shows you another issue that you got to start working on. Right? Does that happen to you? Or is it just me? Just me? Okay. Thanks, Kyle. I can always depend on you to be honest. <laughs> okay, sense of failure. The problem. A discipling relationship isn't going as you had hoped it would. You, you have these expectations. Kyle talked about that earlier. These unreal expectations, possibly. Or maybe they're just very good expectations, but you're still not meeting them. Maybe you're not seeing growth or your friends wrapped up in something else or being distracted or not being honest or whatever it may be, but it's just not happening. And you can beat yourself up for that. These can be discouraging. So what do you do? How do you counteract that? How do you counterbalance that? Maybe we should consider that discipling the world perfectly is not only on our shoulders, right? That it's not just my responsibility to do that. That there are other ways that people are being discipled, can be discipled. If they're involved in a fellowship where they should be, then there are other opportunities. You know, whether they're sitting under a teaching on a Sunday morning, whether they're in a Sunday school class, whether they're in a Bible study class that meets during the week, or... You know, so you're one aspect of that. So you're all adding in. And everything doesn't happen according to a clock, right? God's not controlled by the clock, by time, like we are. So, and we also should consider the fact that um, God's Word will not go out void. seems like I've heard that somewhere before, haven't I? Anybody know where that's at? Isaiah. Isaiah. Fifty, double nickels, fifty-five, ten and eleven. God's word, God's thoughts and ways are higher and greater than our ways. His word will not go out and return void. That's a promise from God. So when you're relying upon the word of God, the sufficiency of God's word, you can know that that. It may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, it may not happen 10 years from now. But God says His Word will not return void. You know what the guarantee is? If a farmer plants a seed 
he hopes it's going to come up, right? That it's going to germinate, pop through the surface, grow up, and produce fruit. He hopes. His hope may be pretty confident. He may have a, a good confidence that that's actually going to happen because he trusts that the seed is what it claims to be on the package, right? God goes one step further. He says, trust, when I give you seed, it will not return void. The timing may be different. The timing may be suspect in your mind, but the word, the seed of his word will not return void. It's going to have an impact. So that can help you combat some of those feelings of, or a sense of failure. It's not up to you. It's up to the word of God. It's up to the spirit of God to produce the fruit and the result. Your job is to sow the seed faithfully. You can also be willing to encourage them to meet up with someone else. Hey, worst case scenario, send them to Kyle. Kyle loves discipling. <laughs> There's options, you know. If, if it's not going on, then, you know, you can pray about this and decide that maybe... There's some other ways to explore it that's good for everybody. Maybe bringing a third person into the equation could help spark some things. You just never know. Yeah. Sure. It's good accountability. It's good objectivity. Uh, you know, when it's one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes we, we hear what we think we heard, but maybe we didn't hear what we should have heard. But when you got three people in that, you know, somebody's going to hear it correctly, right? So you kind of got some checks and balances there with each other. Okay, so those are your four dangers to the discipler. What about those that we're discipling? Dangers to those we're discipling. Right? Why? Males have a different perspective than females. Okay, that's one reason. Men and women have completely different roles in the Word of God. Women should be training up women. Men should be training up men. Yeah. This is true. What's the most obvious one? The obvious danger point. Yeah. It's a danger point. It's, it's not a healthy situation. <clears throat> Because opposites, <laughs> opposite genders, that's not a good a good approach to it. Um, but the other reasons you're saying are very good too. That you know, men and women are different. They they operate different. I guess you could say there could be some positives to that, but you still don't want to do it. You know, a man and a woman. Um, it's it's not a good situation uh, for discipleship. So inappropriate intimacy would be one of them. Now, I know we live in a different era, a different culture today where some people discount that and don't think too much of it. Um, but we probably should think about it carefully before we go down that path. 
the problem studying together, sharing struggles, and praying together presents a very close, intimate setting. So it, it opens you up to those kind of feelings that are unhealthy, opportunities, those kinds of things. Discipling someone of the opposite sex can lead to inappropriate intimacy. Yeah, you, you, you lose focus on what you're there to do. You, you Suddenly you're not discipling, you're nurturing a relationship that's improper, you know. And so that's, that's something to stay away from. How do you correct that? You know, in short, in-depth discipling with people of the opposite sex should be avoided. Just not a good relation. It's not a good situation. If there's someone of the opposite sex that needs discipling, find someone who is a mature believer of the same gender, Okay. Put them together with someone that this is not going to be a problem. Take it off. Take it off the board. <clears throat> what else? How about dependency? That's been mentioned here tonight. Dependency on the discipler. What does that mean? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. After meeting for a while, your disciple E may become dependent on you for Bible study, prayer, recognition of sin. So not only is there the danger possibly of the inappropriate relationship, but then there's a problem of dependency upon you for everything that's spiritual. If it doesn't come through you, they, they can't get it themselves. You know, so you become you become the Messiah if you're not careful. To Younger people in today's secular culture are it's not unusual for them to struggle with the needing for the approval of other human beings instead of God. Yeah. And so they can easily fall into that trap, especially if you've got a younger believer who hasn't learned that lesson. Right. Good point. So to correct that, as disciples, we need to encourage them to build up Christian disciplines and knowledge of them for themselves that they might have a personal walk with Christ. You don't want to encourage dependency on you. You want to encourage autonomy or dependence on God, right? You want, you want to teach another adage here. You teach, you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime, right? You can feed him a fish that you've caught, or you can teach him to fish. Teaching him to fish, you know, he's in a position to feed himself for the rest of his life. That's the key behind discipling. So you don't want to put yourself in a position to where, you know, when did you do that with kids? I mean, how many parents we've got that have raised kids? When, Kelly, are you still spoon feeding all your children no. at dinner table? <laughs> I mean, you have five, so not even Noah. No, poor Noah. <laughs> Noah got it right off the beginning. Here's your food, son. <laughs> You're a big boy now. Yeah. Noah's making the peanut butter and jelly at lunch. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, we, as soon as we can, we start teaching them how to feed themselves, right? We want to teach them to feed, feed themselves. We don't want them dependent upon ourselves. I, I had a, uh, 
uh, I think it was my mother's first cousin when I was growing up that was, uh, uh, he was, uh, he, he had Down syndrome. It was a pretty severe case. He was a neat guy, but he was, at that time, I was a kid, and he was, you know, he was probably late 20s or something like that, but he was not much more than a child in a man's body. And I can remember going to the house, and, you know, it was it was uh, it was a neat experience, you know. It kind of gets you outside of your bubble, and you you learn and see things. But his mother, my grandmother's sister, had babied him all of his life, and he couldn't even feed himself. She even as a grown adult like that, she fed him fed him baby food, even at that point. I had uh, a first cousin who had a case of Down syndrome, and her parents were just the opposite, you know. They treated her like a normal person as much as they could. They taught her to be responsible. They did all these things, and, and you know, she lives an independent life today. She's, what, three years younger than I am, so she spent most of her adult life living on her own in some sort of a, a community, you know, where others are, but she takes care of herself, she works, you know, she processes her finances and does all that stuff. Handling it two different ways, right? Discipling is about the second one. It's about teaching that person to use what they've been given to take care of themselves, you know, to grow in the faith. Uh, if you teach them how to do uh, deductive Bible study themselves, you know, then they, then they learn to be grounded in the truth and not dependent upon what somebody else is telling them they should think, right? Which leads us to the last one, trusting too easily. Just say trusting you too easily. Where they're they're hanging on your words and not God's word. So they may they may turn to the truth that you pointed out, but it may not process through them. They may just, you know, hear what you've said, adopt that for themselves and, and move on with that. And you're not helping them long term there either. Yeah, they they travel together. So in all these, we need to proceed with caution. We need to proceed boldly. We need to proceed trusting and depending upon God. I mean, ultimately, it's His. This is His pattern. I mean, Jesus set the set the pattern for us, right? Discipling people, investing in people, pouring himself in people. And he was, he was perfectly willing to be bold, to challenge, to correct when necessary. Um, and sometimes to let them, let them fall on themselves. You know, I always remember Peter wanting to walk on the water. You know, Jesus said, come. He said, can I come to you on the water? Command that I can come to you on the water. He said, come on. So he gets out of the boat and he's walking on the water. Why? Until... The water starts lapping his feet, and he remembers where he's at. And he looks down, and he starts to plunge, right? Jesus could have saved him right there on the spot, but he waited for him to recognize what was going on and to yell out for help, right? And then he interceded and intervened.
<clears throat> questions or comments? Rogue theories? <laughs> questions for Kyle? Our visiting professor tonight? No? Y'all are too easily satisfied, huh? I had classes in here that get pretty contentious. Not to encourage Kyle on that front, but we have had. What do you mean by contentious? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will uh, finish up this session next week the same time then we'll take the break for Christmas next week's the 16th right we'll take a break for Christmas and I think we start back on the 6th of January uh, and I'll give you a shot here I haven't really decided what we'll do beginning in January so suggestions appeals thoughts what would you like to study what makes you curious uh, do I dare put it out there for you to give me some feedback? I'm not promising we'll do it, but I, I would consider it. There's something on your heart. Something not pneumatology. Not, no, no, not no more pneumatology. <laughs> something, that, some type of thinking about.